Welcome to the Digital Accessibility Podcast, hosted by me, Joe James, and sponsored by PCR Digital, who provide people-centric recruitment. Throughout the series, I'll be interviewing advocates, experts, and practitioners of digital accessibility to help raise awareness for the work that they do, and discuss the role digital accessibility has in all of our lives. I hope that you find value in these discussions and are inspired to join the journey towards a more accessible digital world. So sit back, relax, and I hope you enjoy the show. Today I'm joined by Bev Newing, current accessibility lead at the Ministry of Justice. The Ministry of Justice is the largest government body in the UK, which employs over 90,000 people. So you can imagine just how huge and wide reaching the programmes of work Bev heads up are. Bev's background is in front end and general web development, starting at the Ministry of Justice as an accessibility specialist uh, to help people better understand the Public Sector Bodies Accessibility Regulations, or PSBAR, created and ran training workshops and provided accessibility consultancy on services across the whole department. Now working up to leading things. I've had the absolute pleasure of meeting Bev in person and watching them talk at Accessibility Scotland in 2023, which was fascinating. I hope that All of our listeners will now gain an insight into Bev's day-to-day and super interesting approaches to digital accessibility, but that's enough from me. So welcome to the podcast, Bev. Thank you for having me, Joe. And it was great to get to meet you too. It was a good conference, wasn't it? It was brilliant. Yeah, it was actually one of the first that I've travelled for, for work. So um, yeah, I was so, so nervous um, just because I get really anxious. But such great people, such great company. Um, So I felt much more at ease as the day went on. Um, But I'm sure we'll get a bit more into that as the podcast goes on. (laughs) But cool, I hope that the intro was relatively accurate um, in terms of your background and and what you're currently doing. And um, I guess being the accessibility lead at the UK's UK government's largest department is no small undertaking. From the outside looking in, my assumption would be that there is an awful lot of pressure on your shoulders. Um, So the worry is that you might be overworked or feeling overworked or burned out, which is a huge and key topic in the community, unfortunately. But um, do you you feel that? And and have you got any tips for how you may have managed things? Yeah, burnout is is a hot topic right now, isn't it? Everybody's talking about it. I, I would say, though, I think in my department, the biggest pressure comes from me. Our senior management are all actually really supportive and and really great. Um, but I think with accessibility, there is this kind of sense of. As a specialist, you know, the impact of of what of what it is to not make something accessible and you're kind of tasked with telling people this and trying to inform them and teach them and that's quite an intense situation when you're kind of aware like emotionally of if if we don't do this then people might be excluded and it's it's quite it's quite a tough one to manage really um and also it's a big department there's a lot of stuff to do and I'm a bit of a magpie I like shiny things like oh that's a fun project oh over there that's a fun project and so trying to be like no no that's not on the roadmap 
<laughs> keeping yourself sort of your focus centralized i guess is yeah it's mm. going to be tricky yeah because so much to do so little time <laughs> um but yeah i guess self like disciplining yourself i suppose in a way to to keep on the roadmap yeah it's, it's different as well we're trying to figure out when do we need to pivot versus when do we need to stick as well because it, it, being agile we operate in a fairly like you know, we, we sort of plan as we go along, but there are some things that we know we need to get done, but then things pop up and yeah, that's a, that's a work in progress, that one. Absolutely. Um, and I guess, are there certain telltale signs? Do you, are there certain times where you're like, oh, actually, I need to take a step back? Yeah, I got very bent out last year and I, I actually have now noticed that when I get stressed, my sinuses start to like constrict (laughs) and if I let it get really bad I'll get a fever so now I can sort of tell like well am I getting am I getting a bit toasty like oh that's a sign stressful meeting (laughs) then after that I'll be like right go for a little walk like walk it off like get a glass of water like move around a little bit but yeah like really listening to like what is my body trying to tell me in these situations yeah yeah work in progress so that one and also you need to listen not be like no it's fine I'll just go into the next meeting like nope nope yeah very true because then you're no good to anyone I suppose and um I mean Mm. paramount is the is is yourself you need to look after oneself you're never any good to anyone else I've learned that the hard way in personal life as well trying to look after family members that are unwell while still trying to juggle everything and, and work as well and it you, you you need to just listen to other people telling you you know stop <laughs> but also yeah. yeah like just just take the time for yourself because you're no you're no good to anyone when you're burned out so yeah, yeah. And I think Sean was talking about it on the last podcast as well and saying just take time out if you need it and yeah that is just really good advice nothing you know things can wait a week in the most most cases things can wait a week and it's just really worth taking that time out. And if you feel like you can't, it's also worth thinking, why can't I? Like what has become so important and so dependent on me? And why is the volume of work so big? And what does that actually mean about my job? And is it one person's job? Is it three people's job? Um, and how do I also make myself not a single point of failure? Yeah. Um very true I think that that's the thing it depends on team size and delegation and and, and yeah. have you got people that you can dele- delegate to um it's uh it's, it's a bit of a minefield we I was talking with Heather Hepburn earlier today I mentioned before the podcast and um she was telling me how building the champions network within Skyscanner has just helped exponentially because not you're not necessarily responsible for those people's day jobs but they are yeah. invested and helpful and and um i see that as a really a great growing um aspect to accessibility teams initially i think but while we're still trying to grow that awareness and and gain that buy in i think if you can just have proactive um um what would you call them good actors instead of bad actors people that just <laughs> want to help i suppose um yeah. It can just really, really help um, move things along. Yeah, and like not and making sure that you've got really robust ways of capturing the data as well. 
so one thing that I a trap's not the right word for it but one thing that I fell into in the first couple of years was responding to people on Slack they'd message I'd respond I'd answer the question and then get you know there'd be more questions and more questions before you know it you'd have like five Slacks open and you wouldn't have any of the data of what it was they wanted and and their time frames so what we've done is take a step back and say cool yeah I'll respond to you on Slack but here's the form fill it out and you tell us who you are where your where your application is um what's your deadline for this how do you want to be spoken like do you want teams or do you want a google meet call and then that way you've also got the data so at the end of the month you can say oh we had 14 people message us and then when you talk to senior leaders, you can say this is the kind of trend we're seeing over time. These are the topics. And then, yeah, then you're not being uh, then people know to go somewhere else and not just come straight to you because then that gets a little bit, a little bit stressful. Definitely. Um, like you said, again, with the single point of failure, you don't want to be if you've got all, then even just internally for yourself, you feel that that is entirely just on you. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, knowing that there are other areas that can that can sort of help you with that is that must help. Yeah. But brilliant. OK, cool. Um, so I guess moving on to the next sort of question, um, we're all individuals. We all uh, have different <laughs> things that make us tick. Um, bit of an insight to me my a very key motivator in in work and life is is actually <laughs> feedback and recognition um and that, that makes me sound very needy um which is a topic we were talking about <laughs> as well before the podcast <laughs> but, um it, that's what really makes me tick but some people find that unusual for a recruiter um sometimes seen as, as a bit money grabbing and, and what's where's the next deal coming from um, but yeah, so if, if I know I've done a good job and I get that feedback, that really, really makes me happy and motivated to carry on doing you know, what I'm doing. So um, is there anything in particular that helps you stay on track, but also maintain your motivation for what you're doing with all that pressure um, at the, the Ministry of Justice? Yeah, and can relate to being needy. <laughs> 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 We're all just human, aren't we, at the end of the day? We're all humans trying to like figure out this life thing aren't we <laughs> absolutely yeah yeah i mean for me a big driver in this job is getting to talk to people who are also interested in the same sort of thing like one thing that i i used to run i don't do as much of anymore but i used to run a, a book club where we'd get together and we'd watch documentaries about disability and then discuss it afterwards and it was it was really fun and it was just really interesting as well to have a group of people to kind of have a good discussion with and, and share things with and and kind of grow and evolve with and that's 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 been really fun yeah i really enjoyed doing that oh amazing i guess it, it, it takes it away from just the work day sort of yeah. element as well doesn't it you can get a different perspective on things and and just growing that friendship outside of the work day as well i think helps to build that community yeah, especially in this uh, slightly more remote world that we're in these days. <laughs> post post COVID, I think I'll call it post COVID world. <laughs> yeah, oh, we hope. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think I think for me, growth is a big motivator. Like, how do you learn to make situations easier as well? And, and I'm, I'm a big fan of working for government. Um, at MOJ, I get five days volunteering leave a year, so I go and volunteer with Three Rings CSE. 
who do the volunteer management software between behind organisations like um, Samaritans, Childline, Nightlines. That's really fun. And yeah, there's a good LND package as well. So you can kind of go to conferences and meet people. And yeah, I think that kind of community is a really big driver for me. Yeah, it sounds like the like you say, the learning and development and, and sort of gaining that knowledge or growing your knowledge within the space and in other areas is, is another key motivator. So it's great that you've got that um, at the MOJ and it is tricky, I think, especially in the private sector where it is very much about budget and um, <laughs> profit, um, the bottom line P&L. So it's hard when when recruiting people into these roles as well when there's already not as much of a, a buy-in i suppose um is the key word um for accessibility then trying to explain the value behind the role and you know the worth of the person that's got all of these years of experience and have spent a lot of time and money and resources getting to that point um only to offer them half of what they're actually worth is um yeah, but if, if if there was something like an LND budget or giving people the opportunity to have sort of leave days or days dedicated to um, just more personal development or working on other things outside of their day to day, then um, that could be, you know, something that entices people into roles. But um, yeah, hopefully that will begin to change as uh, as the market grows. I hope so. I mean, the, the DDAP framework, well, we've now listed out accessibility as in head of senior, mid and junior has helped because it's kind of given us a kind of North Star really to say, oh, you're a mid-level, if you want to progress to senior, here's the behaviours that you need to kind of do. And then that can then feed into a learning plan. And that just makes our lives a, a lot easier. Absolutely. That's another thing we'll probably come on to a little bit more later, but while we're on it now, because I know I'll forget, um, something I've been discussing recently with um, other members of, of different sort of departments in government, but also applicants that are trying to sort of um, get roles within this space. They've mentioned that I think there's still um, the DDAT framework is, is, is excellent. It's covered so much off, but I think the only element at the moment there's still quite a lot of ambiguity when it comes to accessibility roles being hands-on development experience because if someone is a hands-on developer they could earn twice three times four times what someone is purely <laughs> focusing in accessibility could earn but it shouldn't be that way because that's just going to push people out away from accessibility and into creating more potentially inaccessible technology mm. um but i think it's it's definitely the, the, a huge huge strides in the right direction. I think that we need to just maybe revalue certain skill sets and and make sure that they're being recompensated fairly. Yeah, definitely. I think Craig shared in his recent blog post the kind of bands that the roles align to, and that that probably does align, roughly speaking, with development and user research and. Um, design and so on but it was it, it, public sector again how does that compare to private sector and then is that translated into the private sector and with that new legislation coming in to effect in some point in the near future yeah we're going to need to see a lot more people aren't we 
we definitely are um and then that goes even further back into education and things but uh, you know me we could probably talk uh, for hours on end <laughs> we might help but um, i'll just move on just briefly onto the next question um which was around your talk at accessibility scotland which covered off a huge amount of, of things as well so um it was really it was it was lovely seeing you talk it was really engaging and um interesting and it was actually really it was really funny you put a lot of humor in there um and it just came across really powerfully so as um i know that you've said that you're quite a quiet person and um when we've met you've you've you know you are quite quite quiet and, and reserved but i'm also someone weirdly enough that suffers with social anxiety um i've got a very good mask that i can hide behind um learn how to deal with it um <laughs> But um, I'd love to know how that you found that whole process because it's a very daunting thing. There was an actual stage and <laughs> lots of people and a microphone. So um, was there anything in particular that you did to help your nerves in leading up to that? There were a lot of nerves. I am an anxious camper. <laughs> <laughs> um, I remember in the week before, there was one evening where I was seriously considering not doing it. <laughs> and oh. I very nearly like was like no I'm not gonna do it I'm not no, not gonna do it anymore um and I decided no I it's too close it's too close to the date I'm just gonna I'm just gonna do it um I also find because I'm quite quiet I can't actually do very many run-throughs because it actually hurts my throat to talk too much I must talk in a really weird like throaty way or something but like yeah if I did more than two run-throughs my throat would start to hurt um, so there was also that going on. So I was like, okay, well, I can't do it too many times through. And then getting to the conference itself was also quite a stressful, stressful trek. Um, so yeah, I, I, it, it's funny because when I reflect on that talk, I think it was probably the best talk I've given and the one that I presented the most confidently in, but it was carnage around it. <laughs> <laughs> And the day before, I live in Margate, which is the opposite end of the country to Edinburgh. Um, my talk was at 10am, or something like 10am in the morning. Um, it takes about eight hours to get to Edinburgh. And I rocked up at the train station at 3.30pm on the day before. And there was a big queue outside of it. And somebody was like, oh, yeah, the station's caught fire. Oh <laughs> and I was like, excuse me? <laughs> I have now. a talk to give. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was like, I have to be in Edinburgh for 10 a.m. And they were like, oh, okay. Um, don't know, you could wait. And I was like, well, I actually literally can't because the last train leaves Kings Cross at like 7 or 8 p.m. So I had to, I had to like trek around to like a different train station. And Margate is literally like the bottom tip of the country. So it's the end stop. So that was also a blocker for the trains coming through, but I managed to get on like the, the last possible one I could have gotten and then got to Edinburgh at like midnight, I think. Oh, wow. Oh, my God. <laughs> and then on the day of, I woke up, got dressed, but then got a little bit lost, I think, and I had a lot of heavy, heavy, heavy bag with me. Um, so I sweated quite a lot. Oh. <laughs> It was quite a warm day, to be honest, as well. It, it? was toasty. <laughs> <laughs> so, 
but yeah I get there like about 10 minutes before the talk and people are recognizing me but because I was just so stressed I didn't recognize anybody else people were like oh Beth, talking about these things I was like I don't know who you are <laughs> where do I need to be I'm talking in 10 minutes <laughs> so, yeah Go, go into the talk area, sat down, and then became aware that I had sweated through what I was wearing on the back. And I got my delivery manager to come and find me because she was at the conference. And I was like, Emma, how bad is it? What are we What are we dealing with? And she kind of looked around at my back and she was like, oh. <laughs> oh, she could have just lied to you. <laughs> it would have been better. <laughs> Keep your backpack on. <laughs> So in the video, I'm sat on the stage already beforehand because I was like, if I get up there, I don't have to show my back. <laughs> Good shout. Or just shuffle along the stage sideways. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, it's funny. I mean, you, when you see people do talks, you see like a a snapshot, but that like snapshot in time is a, it's like a curated experience, really. Like the amount of thought and time and prep that's gone into it is, is yeah, it's, it is real, but it's not as casual as it looks, if that makes sense. Yeah, I think it is, like you say, it's that, um, it's almost like putting on a show <laughs> in yeah. a way, yeah. because you want to present confidently and you really did. And um, I think that because it's such an important topic and field that it's hard to really joke about it I know that you you put mm -hmm. great humor in you you had slides with seals and I remember <laughs> it very clearly because it just really made my day um <laughs> and um all of those slides I think can still be seen on the accessibility Scotland website mm -hmm. um so I hope that's right and I'll add a link at the end but um it really what is great and then it like you say with everything that's going around you kind of have to block that out and then just go right What's the important thing? Like the important thing is that what I'm trying to get across is that it's actually you know a serious topic. And um, yeah, I think that you should be very proud of of the talk. It was very well received. I think everyone everyone was um, really engaged. And um, yeah, yeah, it was it was a job very well done. Oh, thank you. I was so nervous about it. It was a very personal talk as well. Like. I think accessibility is a tough topic to talk about as well, isn't it? Because it's so, you, you know, there is no 100% accessibility. You know, there, it's about a variety of different people, all different needs and barriers, which are different barriers for different people. And there, there is no, like, one single truth to it. There's lots of truths. And I, I often find that quite intimidating when talking about it, because it's like, how do you encompass this huge topic into one person's voice as well and so that often is quite a yeah it's quite stressful in itself but with that talk I very much wanted to do one that was quite personal and be like I'm not going to talk to everybody else but this is my experience and made it quite personal but then that made getting feedback on it quite hard as well because yeah I think there's a difference between finding like cheerleaders and getting feedback from people and does this flow make sense as a piece of feedback versus like, does it look all right? Is this, is this okay? <laughs> yeah, I know. And then because it is personal, there's probably you're, you're more than like like I said about your delivery manager just lying and and being like, yes, fine. <laughs> you will probably experience that if you've made it about you. People are less likely to give you as brutal or honest a feedback if they if 
rather than if it's just a general topic. So um, that is very, that's a really interesting point actually. Um, and I think that there are an awful lot of cheerleaders, I'm one of them, <laughs> cheerleaders in the <laughs> space. Um, and I think it re it does help. I think it really helps to instill mm. confidence, definitely. But I think that as honest as we can be, the better, because otherwise we're just kind of blowing smoke in a way um, at times. Yeah. yeah, I think as well, like trying to figure out, do I want feedback on this as well? From the perspective of this is to some extent, it's my story and trusting your gut on the narrative. I'm trying to get better at that, so that trusting trust having confidence in myself as well like as an anxious camper I do spend a lot of time being like was that right did I do that right and just trying to be like no actually this is yeah I could structure it in a different way but I'm gonna go with my seals and it, it, it landed so that's a really yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <Whew. laughs> that was great um awesome um and we've I've been very fortunate to stay in touch with you since and we've had some back and forth chats about uh, all sorts of things, but more recently about the state of recruitment, my job, uh, but all specifically within accessibility in the profession. Um, we're seeing an awful lot out there at the moment in way of content where people are discussing job descriptions that are asking for way too much salary expectations of candidates, but then the actual salaries being offered. Um, so as someone who has recruited in their own team, and I believe you're currently going through a selection process at the moment as well, um, do you have any advice for other leaders or hiring managers um, that are looking to engage with and retain experts within, within the space? It is a it is a, a tough market at the moment, I will say. There's just a lot, there's a lot going on right now. <laughs> very kind of choppy landscape um and i i sometimes think as well when i see these job ads that are they are a bit chaotic to, to you know be a little bit blunt about it like i often wonder like how did they end up in a situation where they published that like and is it coming from a place of they are just really stressed and they haven't really had the chance to sit down and think about is this practical like have they just kind of been given more than they can do and they've just sort of like you know stuck it on a page to kind of get it out their head yeah. <laughs> so, like, and then maybe they're under so much pressure that there's a not time or support to get peer review on it and and that kind of thought that kind of workshopping around what's going to go in it so there's that and then there's also people who just really genuinely don't know because we're still it's I know that people have been doing this for a long time but it does feel like it's on a kind of a growth phase at the moment where it's gone from a few people, a lot of people have been doing it really well and really thoroughly for a long time to a really big kind of career growth. I mean, we've been seeing in, in um, the campaigns that there's a lot of people out there now who have been accessibility leads kind of on their own organisations and they've done a great job of, of taking it and owning it and we've got a lot of leads out there now. So yeah it's it's a tough space so i often wonder what's the context to this ad going out like what's what's the story there <laughs> yeah. yeah i think that what you touched on there about there being a lot of leads that have done it sort of headed things up on their own and and supported or championed things um at maybe smaller companies or there's a smaller budget in place for it i think 
their absolute foot soldiers and warriors, you know, to, to take that on and, and without the support really um, and having that all on their shoulders. However, it's really difficult because they're so used to being all fingers in all pies, touching on every part of accessibility and then feeling like that. That job description actually does fit what they mm -hmm. were doing at that time because they were quite the go-to person for every element. However, you can't really translate that if they're then moving into a larger government department or a larger company that has a team support. And so I think it's it's again, it's so nuanced, it's so yeah. specific in particular. Um I think that the onus is is still it has to be with the hirers and, and with um, the the recruitment teams, I think, as well, because they're the first port call. It's, uh, you know, they have to approve job specs that are being put out. Um, but yeah, I think it's the more understanding that internal teams that aren't doing the doing the thing, <laughs> that who are still involved with the process, the more they understand about just what they're asking, the better. Um, Obviously, it's easier said than done because being a recruiter is focused in that space. To me, it makes sense. But then you do have, you, you can't have a specific recruiter for one field within a large organization. They have to work in multiple uh, roles and spaces. But yeah, I do think that educating the recruiting team on just what they're asking for before rejecting applicants because they don't tick every box would. Would help would be a step in the right direction yeah it is really tough like one one thing i'm I'm sort of observing as well is we're an industry with a lot of seniors and a lot of leads and yeah that is a that's a tough it's quite top heavy as, a, as an industry which is a tough tough space and and lead means different thing in different places you know but my job has really changed over the years as well in terms of from going from the single person who was doing accessibility to now my role is this kind of heading up the team is is very different it's um yeah I don't do the day-to-day -day anymore and there's a lot more of giving other people leadership on things and it's it's yeah it's a very different structure and it's yeah it's a tricky it's a tricky industry it's, it's really tough I think that we need people that have that senior level lead experience in in your position though to, because you will have the understanding of how long things might take and you've been there and done that sort of thing so that that absolutely you know the reason for that sort of hierarchy or level of of sort of seniority is definitely needed for support more than anything really but then the understanding to well i know that you're capable of x because yeah. of I can see that you've done it or you know the identifiers are there so um yeah but it is it is it is <laughs> it can be such a, a minefield it's very very tricky um from from both sides so it's, it is I think the unfortunate thing in recruitment oftentimes people see hiring managers and recruiters as sort of against each other but I think it really really isn't the case I think we really just need to be one of the same like you know working you're both working towards the same cause you want to retain people you want to make sure they're right because it, it, the whole you don't want to go through the whole recruitment process again anytime soon <laughs> i know that for a fact <laughs> um, 
and it's and neither does an applicant you know it's, it's there's nothing worse than than being stuck looking for a job and i think having that empathy but having someone that you know really can understand um where they're coming from um is needed before it just becomes an automated mess of you're not right for this job because you didn't hit x criteria um yeah. but yeah sorry yeah that is really tough like there's just a lot of people in the market at the moment and having done a lot of hiring recently I remember at one point there was somebody I had to you know I had to say I'm sorry you're not getting the role and I actually cried because I really really liked the person but they they just weren't quite the right person now the candidates that we'd had and that is tough when you've got one campaign with one role in it and you you know you're seeing all these applicants and you're like you're all great like I would love to work with all of you, but like, you know, I can't. And that is, yeah, that is really tough. Yeah, I think that you've mentioned as well. Sorry, so uh, just for full disclosure, um, we <laughs> when we're doing podcast <laughs> episodes. I send questions, um, guests send me notes back so that we can stay on topic because I am a waffler. Um, but you've mentioned in here as well um, about um, emphasizing so on the positive side of things I, I completely agree and unfortunately it's a part of a, a big part of my job telling people they haven't got the job and mm. it's an awful 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 thing to have to do um, unfortunately a lot of recruiters put it off and don't do it over the phone which I think is the worst thing you can do um, it's just because then it's just again so impersonal um, if they've spent time and effort going through a process and at the end of the day it's our business this is how I earn money so the least I can do is try and give them feedback and, and be as accurate as possible. So I think that that's where we work very well together in terms of hiring managers and, and recruiters is if you can just respect the time that it's taken that person and if they, they're ending up with nothing at the end of it, if they're not getting the job. So the least we can do is try and help them towards uh, gaining a role, new applications or what they can improve upon. Um, it's really super helpful um but sorry so yeah another point on here on this topic was that you like to emphasize that your team that you are a team um and could you tell us a little bit more about that and how that helps with, with sort of um recruitment process as well yeah i like to think that's one of the big kind of selling points of my team really is that we are a team i remember back when i was on my own you'd come across things and you think oh what do i know about is that okay 1.3.1 or is that you know a different one and it's just so much easier when you've got a team to go to and say hey you know I've been in this um it's cool I've seen this thing I don't really know I've got an idea but what what do the rest of you think and then you have a debate like in our team we have a fortnightly team consensus where we all bring things in where we are not really sure about we have stand-ups every day though as well so if anybody wants to bring anything to that they can and it is just it's nice to know you've got that wrapper around you so that, you know, if you get a little bit stuck, then you can get support. And with the team structure that we have, we have mid seniors and myself. There's often an escalation point as well. So lots of support to be had. And I think that's just, yeah, I wish I'd had that when I was starting out because I think a lot of us have become leads on our own and we haven't had that, that kind of, we sort of learn in the, in the wild really. And, not all, not all had that kind of support around us but things like can agree which heather runs with charlie um yeah things like that are, are really great at helping with that 
definitely yeah and the events they put on are, are just amazing and um there are plans for me to to try and revive a london-based accessibility event um this year at some point and i just don't know how i could compete so i think my plan is actually to try and uh mesh them together in a way um i think that, that would be the best the mm. best result um but yeah i think they're just they're phenomenal i think a huge pulling point for accessibility and why people want to work in this field is because as much as everyone's competing, everyone naturally is in the business world, even within government. Um, within accessibility, everyone cares about the common goal. Everyone's going towards the greater good. And I don't think anyone's really holding anything back and like, I'm doing this. Look, this is how I've done it. This might help you. Mm -hmm. I think it's such a sharing community that mm -hmm. um, it's not really seen elsewhere in tech. So yeah as a huge empath i think that's why i've been drawn to it anyway <laughs> <laughs> yeah same same yeah my so background awesome. before tech was diversity well but not before tech but before being a developer was diversity in tech and i really love that community things like code bar and code first girls where you're getting people together and and yeah doing that skill sharing and yeah it's, it's just it's the way forward isn't it Absolutely. And I think that's another thing where you're saying top heavy, lots of seniors and lots of leads in accessibility. Another thing that Heather was saying earlier today was that working with those communities to push process within design and development for accessibility first, that will help us have more junior or mid-level resources that, that we can sort of lean upon as well. Yeah, exactly. So that would be good to try and incorporate that somehow. Um, <laughs> But cool. Um, I've, I'm really conscious that I'm asking you way more questions than I'd put on our sheet. So um, I'm just going to bring it back to sort of challenges for accessibility mm -hmm. for this year, if that's OK. So um, what do you is there anything that you foresee being the biggest challenge or hurdle within digital accessibility for this year? Um, and of course, we've got regulation change in Europe coming up next mm -hmm. year. Um, and I mean, I think that's going to bring about huge increased demand for those with specialist knowledge but but how do you how do you see that being sort of dealt with yeah i i think a big challenge for us as an industry is getting that junior pipeline in because we've got a lot of seniors and yeah i think our next role as a community with a lot of seniors is to then create the junior and the mid roles to then bring more people in especially junior roles um and a home office do lots of apprenticeships, which is really great. And that's something that I would really aspire to be able to do over in my team. Fingers crossed for the future. I would love to do that. But yeah, we just, yeah, we could do with more people. <laughs> um, and more entry level roles as well, because a lot of us transition from being developers. You kind of, you're a senior developer. You slide sideways into being a senior specialist. But what about the people who aren't developers who maybe aren't even necessarily you know, a digital person, but they want to get into it. But, you you know, it's very difficult going from that into the senior roles that are out there. So, yeah, junior roles, I think, are going to be the big, the big challenge for us to kind of meet the demand that you're saying, you know, pointing out is going to come with the new legislation, um, continuing to work with the government legislation, PSBAR. Yeah, a lot of, a lot of work to be done. 
lots and lots and it just made, made me think then i know that there are sort of senior or mid-level roles being advertised across the board at the moment in accessibility which is great to see but i think the other part is transferable skills i think if we can identify exactly what it is we're looking for and knowing that someone has a passion or can can demonstrate that on a kind of interviews you know give them a task at the first stage and say what do you know about digital accessibility and why would you like to work in the space that can be quite a simple case study that they could do and come back with alongside genuine passion and other maybe administrative skills or junior level experience and splitting out a mid or senior level role so that you have the quantity of people which i know that quality is, is of paramount importance but when you've only got eight hours of a day if you have two people that's 16 hours working towards the same goal um, and if they're trained in the right way then you know you've doubled up the the help but it's yeah i think it's just identifying those needs and manpower is going to be yeah huge hugely needed or person people power i think manpower is a bit misogynistic <laughs> <laughs> um but yeah no i really appreciate i think that yeah you're you're spot on with that and hopefully i'll be able to help with that and we can grow the network and get some more junior resources interested in in the field of accessibility yeah um but that does bring me to final thoughts, Bev. So um, if you've got anything of real importance for you at the moment, either within accessibility or just in your personal life, um, then yeah, feel free to share. Well, very importantly, deciding whether or not to get a cat or a dog or both and cat. when and how. <laughs> <laughs> I have three cats. None of them are in this room at the moment. Um, I was also allergic to cats when I met my fiance. Um, still am but um she would say otherwise but yes yeah, so i would say cat because they're not as much of a tie as a dog but i am definitely a dog I, well i'm both i'm an animal lover well one vote for cat then <laughs> <laughs> on the most serious note though i think like one thing i'm thinking a lot about at the moment is is like what connection looks like in the current world you know like, you know sort of hopefully post-pandemic um We've all moved, haven't we? And we all live in different places and we've made, it's more than just moving, we've made life changes off the back of the pandemic. You know, I, I've moved to Margaret because my grandparents are down here and they, you know, they're not having the best of times. So, yeah, I'm down here and I need to be down here. Um, but then what does that mean for me and my friendship groups? You know, other people have moved for similar reasons. You know, I went from having a London group of friends to, one now lives in Copenhagen, you know, one moved up Oxford way. It's, yeah. And then how do you still remain connected digitally? Um, and also, how do you approach like going back into the kind of physical world, like carefully as well? And like reflecting on the collective trauma, really, of the pandemic and not being allowed to hang out and all the rules in place. And that was a really big thing that we went through as a society. And yeah what what do we really yeah who are we after it and it's yeah i think it's a what i take comfort in is that is something that strangely enough not many generations will have gone through it's a huge community thing like everyone experienced it in their own way i think it impacted some groups of people more than others but i think as a whole 
we can all look back at that and go, wow, we got through that. Um, but that's just me being ever the optimist, trying to take a good from a bad, <laughs> terrible situation. But uh, they say again, it's like, you know, you haven't seen camaraderie like that since war times. And we're very fortunate to not be in a country that's affected directly by war. Obviously, there's um, there's horrific things happening around the world at the moment, but um, it's I think taking a positive from that is, is really good. And, and it is something you can refer back to in conversation as well. I suppose, um, but again, being sensitive to it. Yeah, yeah, the big thing. Yeah, like making new friends as well, where you are now, and navigating work, and maybe like office changes as well. Like, yeah, it's, it feels like there's a lot going on that we haven't really got a, a kind of community language for yet. Really, not language, but the right, the right kind of conversation around it. Yeah, absolutely. Well, hopefully we can approach that and um, we'll have more conversations around it. You know, I'm only down the road as well. So if you're ever Ooh. feeling like you want some company and want to go out and paint the town blue or whatever colour, um, <laughs> then, um, you, you know, you can give me a shout. So I'm, I'm more than happy to hang out. Um, but yeah, I, I, yeah, it's it's just been an absolute pleasure getting to know you more and more over the last couple of years, Bev, and I hope that that continues. Um, Me too. Thank you so much for today and for being on the episode. It's It's been great, really good insight into how you do things and, and coping mechanisms and things. So um, also for all the incredible work you do. So whenever I talk to people in accessibility um, and if I ever mention who I've been speaking to, because I like to name drop um, uh, and you come up into conversation, like you're very well respected, known and appreciated. So I hope you know that. Um, Keep fighting the good fight um, and I'll share links to any resources. Um, so like the Accessibility Scotland talk we spoke about. Um, and if you're happy for people to connect with you on LinkedIn and, and other socials, I'll share those. Um, but yeah, thanks so much for being on the podcast. Yeah, thank you for having me. It's been great. Thanks again to Bev for joining me today. And I just want to address the audio crackle on my side. Unfortunately, I couldn't get rid of it in the edit, um, but I've since upgraded my equipment, so it shouldn't happen again. And I hope that the transcript and captions will help you follow along. Thanks again, and I'll see you on the next one.